Hello and welcome to your Fairy God Mentor. This is the show that inspires, encourages, educates, and supports expected couples who desire to confidently navigate pregnancy, birth, and finding balance in an unbalanced world. I am Angie Taylor, the mother of nine with two degrees in natural health. I'm also a birth insider, knowing the ins and outs of the birth industry and all of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've worked with expecting couples since 2003 in a variety of roles, including birth educator, birth doula, home birth midwife, breastfeeding support, and life coaching. Sit back and enjoy hearing about all the things you never knew you never knew. Today I interview Amanda Gwynn, who is a registered nurse, board certified physician's assistant, personal development coach, and soul alchemist. She helps empower women to lead from their desires and not their wounds. She is well versed in burnout and the toll it takes on our soul. Through helping women in all career fields, especially medicine, she believes we can heal our inner wounds and cultivate greater joy. Amanda believes we can bring soul back into medicine and create positive ripple effects in the healthcare system for both the current and future generations. An 18-year veteran of the healthcare field with a bachelor's from University of Central Arkansas, master's from Harding University, and additional qualifications through NCCPA in internal medicine. Amanda's passion is helping women step into their power. She spends her free time cooking and gardening in Little Rock, Arkansas, where she lives with her husband, rescue dog, and four children. Amanda, I am so glad to have you on this episode with me. We have so many things to talk about, and uh, we may end up having to do more than one episode together uh, so that we can get this conversation that we as women need to hear, that we need to be having with each other out there. So the things surrounding like your aha moments with birth and being a woman and what it really means that none of us were ever truly prepared for. So it's time to speak truth to those things. So I hope that you're looking forward to this episode as much as I am. Definitely. So I'd like to start by having you think back to the woman you were before your first pregnancy and answer this question for me. Did she have any idea what was about to happen to her as in, did she understand to any degree what birth was really all about? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's the short answer, right? (laughs) So I remember I I got a lot of, I wouldn't say flack, a lot of just like raised eyebrows when I told people that 
I didn't know what to expect, but I wanted to, I wanted to experience all of it. And when I said I wanted to experience all of it, I wanted to feel all of it. And that meant having a natural childbirth. And a lot of people said, well, what, why would you do that if you don't have to, you know? And I, and I, and I still, I know so much more about myself now, but back then I'm so proud that I trusted that in me, you know, because we did end up having this beautiful, beautiful experience together, my daughter and I. Um, but I just remember thinking, oh God, this is so amazing. I want to feel all of it, you know, the good, the bad, the in-between. And um, I'm so glad I did, but um, yeah, I didn't, I, I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> no idea. Right. Because I think that what surprises women is how much we're broken down, how much we come out of birth as a completely different person. Um, Mm -hmm. I've talked with women who own their own businesses and they want to know, all the women want to know, you know, what's the most important thing for me to know about giving birth and when it's a woman who owns her own business and she's used to being hundred percent in control, explaining to her that with the birthing process, you're not in control. You don't yeah. get to have control. You know, part of the process is letting go and relinquishing that control to the human being that is working its way out of your body. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, um, I'm a recovering control freak and, um, and, you know, I, I joke because even I was even, I was in labor 24 hours before I even let my body tell me I was in labor. And I essentially was like, oh, I was in full labor by the time. I mean, I was, things were getting heavy by the time I actually got to the hospital. Cause I was refusing to let my body be in labor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And the figuring out how to let go of that control can be very frustrating for women and I remember a mom, her, it was her first experience, her first birth experience, she had recovered from anorexia. And so mm-hmm. she wanted to take full control over everything and was choosing to birth unassisted and, um, had asked me to be there as her, her birth doula, the person to just bounce ideas off of mm-hmm. and the person who could say, oh, I think maybe we need to go to the hospital. And, um, at one point she's like, I just don't know why it's not, why it's taking so long. And, and I explained to her that every woman at some point has an emotional breakdown during the birthing process. It's part of the process of them. Yes. And this sweet, sweet mom then tried to control her emotional breakdown, like create it so that it would produce a baby. And it was like, this isn't something that you can fake. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, we just get to that point of, I can't do this anymore. And then Mm -hmm. there's the emotional breakdown, which is where the release happens. And we're finally able to just surrender to all of it. So what are the things that you learned about yourself and how you live your life? as you went through your pregnancies and and birth experiences? Oh my gosh, that's a really big question. You know, I, um, my second birth was actually when I started really assessing 
it was actually my second pregnancy when I really started assessing life and, um, it wasn't actually a choice. I was forced to assess life because I was placed on preterm or I was placed on um, bed rest for preterm labor. And, um, they told me this is nothing wrong with your baby or your body. This is you. So that was the first level of surrender that I had to, um, accept was number one life as we knew it was not going to go back to normal. I was not going back to work. I was not going to be the, um, as, as physically engaged mom, as I wanted to be to my younger daughter, you know, I was just, I mean, everything had everything for his survival. Um, and so that was the beginning of learning about myself and who, how I was living life, assessing, uh, assessing the pace, assessing all the external validation that I was seeking and what it was costing me. Um, that, that was the big unfolding. Right. You know, I remember, I remember when I was a teenager and being, living in the time in history where you had more and more women going into the work field and um, because things had changed drastically, men weren't getting the level of raises that they had been getting before. Um, things were happening as far as the economy was concerned. So this, an extra paycheck had to come from somewhere. So women were, were starting to work outside the home. And mm-hmm. I think that, that that is when women started feeling like, okay, well, now I've got to be as perfect in a job as I am at home because I can get all of this stuff done and take care of the kids and have dinner on the table by the time that he gets home and, and all of that. And now I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm also going to be working. Yes. Well, Angie, um, I've told you this before, when you and I talk, I frequently get chills because you really speak to, you speak to the core (laughs) (laughs) and, um, yeah. And, and I caught myself in that, you know, I, um, and that's part of the unfolding that I learned from this pregnancy is I was trying to prove myself in so many external areas, I was trying to, you know, I was, I was a PA and I was taking night call. I was, I was essentially running the hospital at night. Then I was coming home and I was being a mom during the day. And both my professional standard and my mother's standard were something that I held very, very dear to my identity. And I didn't see any other reality besides doing them both 100%. And I mean, looking back, of course, that's impossible, but when you, when you, when you hold that kind of standard for yourself, the only thing that can crumble is you, because that's the only thing holding it up. And when it can't help be held up, you crumble. And, you know, my body had been talking to me for years, literally years before I was even a nurse, my body was talking to me before I was a PA, before I was a mom, my body was talking to me and I wasn't listening. And it says, okay this one last time, I'm going to take you all the way down until you hear me. And it did, you know, and, and I, you know, society puts this on us, but we put a lot of this on ourselves too. A lot of this, you know, we, in order for us to feel safe, happy, held and uh, worthy, worthy being big, we have to be this big performer. 
we have to be this show mom, we, you know, that, that we show up at absolutely everything. We're present for absolutely everything for our kids. We're parenting by this unrealistic standard. And then if you had a career on top of that, and then you're put, these demands are put onto you, especially in my world, especially in medicine, which is really still a male driven world. I mean, I know the female, um, the female um, participation is coming into about 50% now, but it's still very much a male driven world, you know, and um, when you put, when you put that standard on yourself, it's just not attainable. I mean, it's just not, it's just not, you can't survive like that. Right. Right. And, and it's not just the fact that you're trying to do all of this stuff in the workplace is that you're also trying to maintain your role in your family. Absolutely. And, and then you talk about the fact that the most important thing that anyone can do is raise another human being to be a respectful and productive person um, in society. And you just feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. And it's like, how am I supposed to do this and not lose myself? Um, do it, make it look easy. Don't forget that. You oh, know? yes. It's got to look easy. I can't. <laughs> you struggle you're looked in as weak, you know? Right. Right. And you yeah. can't, you can't voice that you're struggling. You can't, you can't show anybody that, you know, you have this fault and you can't do everything. Um, you know, so as I was preparing for this talk with you and, and our last conversation that we had and, and this entire topic, what came to my mind was the movie baby boom um, mm-hmm. You know, the high power female executive who ends up with a baby because someone in her family died and mm-hmm. she was the one that was chosen as the guardian for this child. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden she's thrown into motherhood. And I love watching the transition that she takes as she notices that she's no longer this vicious um, boardroom woman that everyone's afraid of. She's Mm -hmm. now a softer version of herself who still has power. And who who can be, I love at the end, how just happy she is making applesauce. Yes. Yes. (laughs) No. Exactly. Yes. And her, her big speech in the boardroom when they're trying to buy her new company from her. She's like, if you can do it, I can do it. Yeah. I used to work for you doing this. Mm -hmm. You can do it. I can do it. And there's nothing wrong with me having a crib in my office and a mobile over my desk. Mm -hmm. And that's what we all need to remember is that it is possible to bring all of these parts of ourselves together Yes. So we have to take the pressure off. We have to mm-hmm. acknowledge what our limits are mm-hmm. because we're raising other human beings and they're learning from us, right? Yes. I don't want my kids in burnout ever. And, and I realized that when I was, when I was in bed rest and, and I was like, what am I teaching my daughter? And do I really want her to live to this standard? you know, and, and no, you know, and I, and, um, you know, I have, um, identical twin stepdaughters, um, that I've been a bonus mom to since they were tiny babies. And, and they look to me as an example too. I said, I don't want women in this to, to feel that they, that they're not enough unless they're, they're living to an unattainable standard, you know? Right. Right. I personally feel like 
the part of, of becoming perfected as human beings is learning your limitations. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not pushing yourself to the point that you're perfect in everything. It's, it's discovering for yourself where your limits are and acknowledging this is what's perfect for me. Yes. And I'm okay with that. Yes. And there's so much, I I like to say acceptance is an emotion, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) acceptance can be an emotion in itself, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's become a a very um, comforting emotion for me that I just accept what is in the moment. And it may be a dirty house or, or a sick child or virtual learning, or, you know, it's just acceptance. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that continual realization that we don't have control over everything. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is, is um, when I really let go of the control, like when I, like, like not theoretically, like just actually released it in my heart, I figured out that I had so much more actual control. <laughs> right. It was so empowering. I was like, whoa, I've been doing it so much. I've been doing it so uphill, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we focus on the wrong things, right? So we're trying to control the things we don't have control over. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we're not even seeing the things we do have control over. Um, You know, it's one of the questions I ask lots of moms when they're talking to me and they're sharing their frustrations. I'm like, but is it something you really have control over? Mm hmm. And in that moment is that light bulb. Oh, you're right. No, I really don't have control over that. And and making that a very common conversation you have with yourself and your partner and even your older kids, you Mm -hmm. know, like, you know, I mean, you, you have a big house. I have a big house. Like we, I mean, big house of people, you know, like having those, like you're frustrated, but can we talk about what we really have control over? Right. Right. Well, and it's like we moved here to Oklahoma in 2018 and I decided to stop picking up after everybody because they're all Mm -hmm. teenagers. You know, everybody knows what to do. I've taught them all. Nobody needs a maid except mom to help pick (laughs) up after everybody, right? And there's no need to allocate funds to a budget when everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and are just refusing to do it. So last week I was having a conversation with um, our youngest daughter. They said, why don't you ever invite your friends here? So I'm, I would love to meet your friends. And she said, mom, it's always dirty. It was like, okay, let's talk about that. It's always dirty. Yep, the kitchen is dirty. There's stuff on the floor. So do you bend over and pick up the stuff on the floor or do you step over it? What'd she say? She just kind of looked at me, rolled her eyes. Yeah, mom, I get the point. I'm just like, but nobody's getting the point. You guys really are not getting the point. You think that if you complain to me enough about how embarrassed you are to invite your friends over because it's always a mess, that's not my issue. I'm okay with your friends seeing that it's a mess. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'm okay with your friends thinking that I'm a lousy housekeeper. Because I know that I'm not. I know that I don't move out with my kids. And they need to learn how to bend over 
and pick the plastic bag up off the floor and throw it away rather than step over it. Absolutely. And can you imagine how, how suffocated you would feel if you felt like you were holding yourself to a standard that you had to keep a clean house with five people living there and it was only your responsibility, you know? And to, to be honest, that was a standard that I had to release and I still work to release because I have older kids and younger kids and the younger kids can't pick up after themselves really yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a reminder every day of, yes, I have con- quote control over how this house looks, but that control comes at a really high cost. And that high cost is my sanity, <laughs> right. you know? Right. And, and when you look at the fact that our, our biggest goal, the most important thing is for our children to move out knowing how to do for themselves. And so if all we're doing is cleaning up after them, then when are they going to learn that? Absolutely. Yeah. Self-mastery too, though, is, um, is, is allowing the mess to be there to teach them a lesson, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. They have no idea how hard it is for me to see the messes that are around and right? just <laughs> leave them there, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I've even had this conversation with my sweet husband as he made a comment. Um, we have a son who left three weeks ago for a two-year mission in Guatemala. And I wanted to host a open house so people could, could say goodbye to him before he left. And my husband was like, but the house is always a mess. I'm like, hmm, yeah. I don't see you bending over to pick up anything either. Yeah. You know, and he just looked at me. It's like, how are you going to, how do you come back from that? We don't have a maid. I am not the maid. Maid is not spelled (laughs) M-O-M. It takes a family to take care of the family. And Uh if if we only have one parent fighting for that, um, then there's, there's a bigger issue. Um, but coming to that realization of this is what I've got control over. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have my times where I just can't handle the kitchen anymore. And I go in and I clean it up and everybody knows that mom cleaned it because of how wonderful it looks. Um, and I don't say anything to them. I don't rub their noses in it. But I do get to a point where it's just too much and I will go clean it up. But then it just falls back to, you know, the disorganization. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's just, it's just a balance too. I mean, it's finding that balance of, of, you know, what, what do you, what do you tell your kids they need to do and what do you allow them to learn for themselves, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and finding that self too of, you know, for me personally, my, uh, my environment's very important to me and my, and my kids know that, especially my older kids, my husband knows that, you know, but I found too, especially in this awakening after my second pregnancy, how much stress I was causing them mm-hmm. to maintain a stand I was placing for me to feel safe and secure. And that's not fair, you know? Right. And releasing that, releasing that standard for myself, you know, um, was it was a huge a huge part of of my healing mm-hmm. too, you mm-hmm. know, because I was just accepting perfectionism in every area of my life. It didn't matter what I touched; it needed to be perfect. And that's when I fell. That's when I crumbled. 
you know? Right. Right. So how do you recover from that? How, how do we, how do we support one another as women in understanding that there's a middle ground here? Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to have a perfectly clean home. Um, and we also don't have to have the messes all over every, every room and just whatever kind of attitude where, how, and where do we find that middle ground for ourselves while still teaching our kids what we, what they need to know when they move out on their own? It's okay if you don't have an answer. <laughs> I feel like the answer that comes up is kind of not even trying to figure it out in the moment. The answer is coming back to finding your power, wherever that is. I mean, you know, the house is just a, it's just a, it's just a part of it. It's, it's all, I want to say a symptom of probably a, a deeper problem. If, if you're feeling like your house has to be perfect all the time, that is a symptom of of something else. Or if you feel like, you know, your friends are coming over and judging you because, you know, your house is, is not perfect. Then that's, a, you know, so I think it's a matter of finding your power and like really what that feels like to you and figuring out, you know, like really releasing what other people think. And I know we say that very loosely, but no, like really not identifying with how another mom is doing things and how, what that might mean about you or, you know, like releasing, how the kitchen looks or releasing whatever standards, you know, it's just about coming back and finding your power. And I really tell women this all the time. I'm like, when you are really walking through life in your power, everything seems to fall into place, mm -hmm. you know, and that, but that, that finding your power that comes from that deep inner healing, that deep work, that finding those, those, those trauma wounds that, that, that have you creating these limiting beliefs or these, um, these, um, I call them chains that you put on yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and so many of us are afraid to do that deep inner work, or we feel like we don't have time. Um, or we don't feel like we've got the emotional fortitude to, to go there, but it's so vitally important to do that work. It is. And it's, and it's vitally important for our kids to see us do that work. It's vitally important to be as vulnerable, you know, um, I feel like this would be a good time to share with you that my husband's brother committed suicide when my um, youngest child was 10 weeks old and we were in the middle of a pandemic and we were already navigating, you know, we, I, I was not working and I hadn't been working for months because of bed rest and the twins were, um, 12 about to turn 13. It was just a really, we had a toddler. I mean, it was just like this tumultuous time. And then when this happened, it was so unexpected. And my husband just crumbled into depression. Of course, who wouldn't, right? Right. And it caused a lot of wounds and fractures in our family because everybody had expected him to be this way. And then he wasn't this way, you know, and then he had to go back and do, he, he went, he went and obviously did a bunch of deep inner healing work. And of course, when something like that happens, not only does it break open the grief wound, but it breaks open all the wounds of your past. I mean, you know, I feel like grief is compounding, you know, and uh, but what I'm getting at is that 
our older kids and even our younger kids on some level, I think understood this. They saw us repair a lot of pieces of our relationship. They saw, they, they saw him come back and deeply apologize for a lot of things that he, you know, said in grief. They saw him, you know, really just stand up and say, I'm hurting. I can't do this by myself. I need help. And to me, that like that lesson is, is so important to our kids because then they learn that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to go back and make amends. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's okay to break down and it's okay to cry and it's okay to not have the answers and all all welcome. Yes. All of it. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important, you know, and, and I come from the, I don't know how old you are. I just turned 53 and I, I come from the generation that, you know, mom and dad were perfect. And if there were any faults, um, they wouldn't talk about them. They didn't apologize for them. Um, there were just things that happened. Um, and I remember my mom's second husband insisting that, um, when my mom made some type of meat, whether it was pork or steak or something, and it had fat on it, um, he insisted that we eat the fat, even though he would cut the fat off and not eat it. And I remember my mom, uh, very loudly, <laughs> um, expressing to him that no, no, we don't have double standards in this house. And this was at the dinner table. So we're all watching this unfold during a mm-hmm. time in history where, um, you didn't do that. Um, you know, and this was like the seventies, but still. You know, yeah, you didn't have that conversation in front of the kids and just mom letting him know, no, if you're not going to eat the fat they're they don't have to eat the fat if they don't want to eat the fat, they're human beings. They have the right to choose, you know, so mm-hmm. having her stand up for us that way was also very healing. Um, mm-hmm. My husband, when it's our second marriage for both of us, and there were times in which he would make a statement and, and I would call him out on it. And, um, he would walk me to the bedroom. We don't need to have conversations like that in front of the kids. You don't call me out in front of the kids. Just like, how are our children supposed to learn how to navigate a relationship? If we do all of our relationship stuff behind closed doors. I I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's a, it's a fine line between, you know, making sure that your comment is respectful, but also standing up that for yourself and your children or, you know, Mm -hmm. because we're all, and especially, you know, if you're responding to a triggered, a person in a triggered place, you know, how do you handle that? You know, and it's once again, being in your power, you know, if you do that inner work yourself and you're walking through life in your power, then you're showing your kids Mm -hmm. an example of how to handle adversity in their power. Right. That's right. Well, and mm-hmm. it's one of the things that got help get my husband and I to a point where we are now treating each other and our relationship like, like we're Adam and Eve, you know, they, she was able to speak plainly to him because there was no competition and divorce wasn't a thing. So she could say what she needed to say without concern that he was going to go off and find someone younger, cuter, smarter, you know, whatever. Um, and so that's, that's the place where we have gotten to in our relationship is that, you know, we need to have those imperfect conversations, regardless of how loud they are, the words that we use, 
until we understand enough, understand each other and where we're coming from so that we can heal. Um, but those, those are just part of the whole control thing. I mean, it's sometimes we feel like we can control another human being, but I only have control over myself. I can only control my thoughts and feelings and actions. I can't control what my husband is thinking, feeling, and, and how he's acting. Um, mm-hmm. I can have my voice. I have the right to my voice. Um, and I think all too often we feel like we don't have the right to make those statements, um, to say what we're thinking and feeling. And I think especially during a time when a woman is at her most vulnerable, which is during pregnancy and birth, we feel like we have to stuff it down. We have to keep it quiet. We have to toe the line. We have to keep everything balanced because we want everything to be nice and pretty and, and, and all of that. But that is precisely the time when we as women need to be finding our voice and standing in our power and saying no, <laughs> or yeah, I'm down for that. Or how about if we do this? Let's find this middle ground where we can negotiate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, um, it's giving women that permission, but also teaching them the tools to access that power. You know, like, I mean, you can tell them all day long, speak up for yourself, but if they don't feel safe, like they've maybe had a trauma when they spoke up for themselves in their past and they haven't healed that trauma, like giving them those tools, you know, what comes up specifically is like when I was delivering my daughter and they were rushing the birth of the placenta and it was really it was really, um, interfering with our, after our one hour, you know, our skin to skin. And I remember being so angry about that, but I didn't have the words. I I didn't know my power yet. You know, I had, I had started to kind of understand, but I hadn't done this work to know, to say, stop, Mm -hmm. you know, I know from my research, how much time we have you know, and like it, can you explain to me, is there a medical reason why you're rushing this, you know, and but it came up for me, that's an example of, you know, looking back, loving on old past Amanda, I love you so much, you know, you didn't do anything wrong, you were doing the best you could, but that's a perfect of like, you know, really being in your power and being able to speak for yourself as an advocate. Mm-hmm. Which requires that inner work. We have to heal our wounds. Um, Absolutely. You know, we meet each other through our wounds and we all like to talk and commiserate with each other surrounding our wounds, but we have to heal those wounds because if we don't, we're just passing them on to the next generation for them to, to deal with. And it's, it's creating exponential uh, problems that we wouldn't have if all of us had from generation to generation had known the importance and significance of healing your own inner wounds, of coming to grips with the things that happened to you, understanding what you, what was your fault that you could, that you did have control over, but you chose to throw it out of whack in whatever way. Um, mm-hmm. But most of it is stuff you didn't have control over and you need to mm-hmm. forgive yourself because it happened and it wasn't your fault but there's still a part of you that feels that it was your fault, but you've got to forgive yourself for finding yourself in a, in a situation you had no control over. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that we're seeing the, the lack of um, attention to that point is we're seeing it in society right now. Mm -hmm. That's exactly where we are. 
That's where yeah. all the chaos is coming from. It, it's it, there's there's so much good and there's so much bad and there's so much ugliness happening right now that there's that is causing people to just kind of get into their freeze mechanism. Um, they feel like they need to flee. They feel like they need to fight, but they're not sure. So everybody's just freezing. Um, and we, we need to make a choice. And for me, the choice is heal yourself. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't agree more, Angie. I can't agree more. Yeah. And it, and it's so important for women right now. And especially women that are pregnant and bringing babies into this world where we are in a society that everyone is frozen, you know, mm-hmm. and we're not happy with our neighbors, with our girlfriends, with our moms, you know, with, um, you know, I can tell you, I can essentially everyone in my life, every relationship I have has up-leveled since I've healed since I, I and I, I don't ever want to say healed. We're never healed. We're human since right. I've a massive amount of healing, you know, mm-hmm. everyone has up leveled. And that's just a, that's a byproduct of your work. Right. Right. Because as you heal, you become a better person. And so you attract more people that are better people. Um, so when we're stuck in those patterns and we're wondering to ourselves, why do I have all of these friends that are X, Y, Z type of people it's a reflection of yourself. And until we acknowledge that and say, there's something going on here that is creating this, I want to heal this and see what happens out here. Out yeah. in, right? Out in my world. Uh, sometimes the talk in your life can, you can be a lot of the source of your toxicity. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. For love of myself, when I realized that I was, I was the toxicity. I was accepting, I was accepting things into my life and expectations that people were putting on me and saying yes. And, and, you know, expect accepting less than, you know, proper treatment in the workplace. And I was just going with it because I didn't know my worth because I hadn't done the, the healing around, around my worth and what I deserved. And, you know, and my desires, what I actually wanted out of life. I had, I had never, I had never really looked at that, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm doing, um, emotional healing with people and they don't know at first what they want to work on. That's the first thing that I help them work on is feeling worthy. Mm, yes. It's, it's my, it's my favorite thing to teach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They usually get like this deer in the headlights look and they start to tear up. And I'm just like, yep, that's why, that's why we need to work on this worthiness because we are worthy of everything that we dream of and everything that we desire. And we're even worthy of everything we currently have. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I I've actually, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about worthiness that didn't cry. And I end up crying too, because it's such a deep wound, you know, and it- such a, it's such an ancestral pattern too. And, you know, it's not that our parents didn't love us. It's not that they didn't feel we were worthy. They just loved us at the level they were, which was exactly all they could give us, right. you know? Right. And I, I always tell my clients, I'm like, you, I desire, I do not feel like we live in a universe or serve a God, however you want to look at it, in which a desire is put in your heart that you cannot achieve. You are worthy of absolutely every desire in your heart in a story, mm-hmm. you know, 
But a lot of times the distance is, you know, here's your desire, but here's your worthiness. And they have to be, they have to be neck and neck. You have to feel worthy of what you desire for it to be reality. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So as we're talking about all of this and this, especially in the area of worthiness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I want to bring, bring this to the, is there a one thing that we as women can do for ourselves and our families when it comes to feeling a ton of doubt, especially in the area of that feeling of worthiness? So, and this sounds cliche on the surface when I make this statement, but I'm going to go deeper. It's taking time for yourself. And I, and I, you know, I, when I teach self-care, I'm like, what the heck does that actually mean? You know, like we really go into that, but no, like really taking time for yourself, like actually taking a bath where you wash the soap off when you have toddlers and, you know, like, but, and, and deeper than that is, is doing the work to better yourself. Like, and, and that can just look like, you know, you got triggered that day and, taking that trigger, journaling on it, trying to find the core of where it came from, learning from that trigger. And then the next time the trigger comes up, being an observer of it, you know? I mean, that's just a, a small example, but that's what I talk about. Like when you, when you take time for yourself, it means you're working to heal yourself. And when you work to heal yourself, you're a better person for yourself. You're a better partner to your husband. You're a better mother to your children. You're a better member of society, you know? You know, when you really, when you heal yourself and you work on yourself and you shed those layers of shame and blame and unworthiness and everything, I like to think of it as like, it's like an uncovering of your light, you know? And when you, when you take those layers of shame and blame and unworthiness off, you can, you can access that light. And when you walk around with that light lit where people can see it, then everybody benefits, you know, especially your kids. Because, you know, I think is it C.S. Lewis that said their children are not a, a distraction from our work. They are our work, you know, and I like to tell moms, if you're not going to do it for yourself yet, if we're not there yet, do it for your kids. Start, start with the that you're going to do it for them. Absolutely. You know, or if you're pregnant, you're going to do it for your baby that's on its way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I had a few years ago and I was thinking on this whole topic of self-care, what does it mean? And is it selfish or is it selfless and, and all of that. And I had a whisper come to my ear and it said, um, love thy neighbor as thyself. And what came after it was, can you really love your neighbor when you don't love yourself? Yeah. And I just was like, okay. I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So self-care is about loving yourself. It's about taking that time out to do the stuff for yourself, healing the wounds. Um, Mm. You know, I have friends that take themselves on a 10 day vacation every year, just themselves, just for, yeah, just, just for themselves, just a time for them to reflect on the previous year, to plan for the upcoming year, to heal any wounds that, that they know they need to heal. Um, to just be on a self-discovery trip 
just for themselves, not having to worry about anybody else, sleeping as long as they want to, going to bed as late as they want to, you know, doing all of those um, quote unquote rebellious things uh, that we as moms don't get to do um, <laughs> because we get into our whole, oh, you can't do that because you're a mom and you've got to be up by this time, you know, and all of that. And, but to give themselves a like, no rules, 10 day trip, or it's just them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then bringing that home and taking that little piece into every day, you know, something I've always, I've struggled with. And I still work on struggling with because my kids are at an age where it, it you really have to watch them, you know? So asking somebody to watch them is like, no, I'm asking you to watch, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, you know, taking that time to carry that through and do a little snippet, even if you just go to the bathroom by yourself for 10 minutes and you meditate or you take deep breaths and, you know, we, we, we live in this, maybe it's, maybe it's marketing, but like to, to, to think that to be a meditator, you have to have this hour set aside and be on this cushion with this perfect incense and this like, you know, humming music and nobody's interrupting you and everything. And I'm, nope, that is not reality you know, going to the bathroom and taking 10 deep breaths, like that might be a meditation for a minute, you know, I mean, or 15 minutes, something, you know, but making that a priority for yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. Or even that, that moment when you're nursing your child and everything's quiet in the house and the child is just kind of dozing in and out. And you, you just have that, that Zen time for yourself where you can just clear everything around you out and just be you know I I find that for a lot of women we just need to take the time to just sit and just be present in that moment because we're so fixated on what didn't get done yesterday what hasn't gotten done yet this morning the dinner that still needs to be made the the trip that has to happen next week or next month and we don't take that time to just sit and be present with ourselves with who we are in this moment, because we're going to be a completely different person in 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on the doing that, you know, we, 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 we miss the being and then we're, and then we, and then I'm speaking from my own experience here. I'm not pointing any fingers unless I pointed back at myself, you know, point one fingers, point three back at yourself. But, and then I'm like, wait, I spent all day doing, and I regret the actual moments that I missed with the baby who is only going to be 18 months at one, you know, like, and then I'm like, wait, okay, tomorrow I'll do better. You know? <laughs> and then right. it's that great, that grace to have for yourself that thank God I had the awareness, you know, that today I overdid and tomorrow I need to be more you know, and that I'm not going to blame or shame myself tomorrow. I, you know, when he wakes up, we are going to be, we are going to be so much more than we're going to do. I have a final question for you that just came to my mind. I'm really big on bringing dads back into the process, not just the birthing process, but also the parenting process. We, you know, there's, there's the dads and I'm not talking about that all men are this way, but there's the dads that believe that, you know, well, I've gone to work and I'm home and I'm done with my job. Um, There's the dads that are like, well, I'm babysitting my kids tonight and they don't understand that's actually parenting. So how do we as women 
help bring our husbands into this same sphere of understanding that we're parenting together. We're in a marriage mm-hmm. relationship. It is as important for him to clear his emotional wounds and for him to spend time present with himself as it is for her. Especially when you think that like my husband, I talk like this to him and he's an engineer. So in his brain, if I'm not trying to put something together, then it does not compute, you know, Um, but helping them to understand that as women, we need you to go deeper. We need you to parent with us on a deeper level. We need our relationships to be deeper. The superficial um, relationship, I think, has been part of the problem for humanity for a long time. Absolutely. And especially as, as like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, when women are going back to the workforce, you know, that, that, that dual role where you do this and I do that, that has to be shattered. You know, we have to, we have to throw that out the window. Um, but even for moms that are at home who desire that deeper level of parenting, you know, I've realized this with my husband that he actually desires that deeper level with me. Like he wants to meet the kids and bond with them at that deep level, you know? And, and in fact, he's told me, he was like, I'm jealous of this connection you have. I want that connection with them. And I've had to be a guide for him to help him. And it's all come through vulnerability. And, you know, we have to be just as open to vulnerability as we are expecting them to be. And, and it's allowing them that really safe place of no judgment and no shame for them to have those emotions, for them to speak about their fears, for them to, you know, cry or, um, but, but, and, and I say it again, it all comes from our inner work because to create that place for another person, we have to be that place for ourselves. You know, we have to drop that level of, of shame around being vulnerable for ourselves to open that up for our husbands who bless their hearts have been in society where men don't have emotions. And, you know, my husband, um, you mentioned that you're 53, my husband's 51 and I'm 36. So, you know, there's a big age difference. And he grew up in a time where, I mean, the eighties were like, if you had an emotion, like you better shut that down. Like what's wrong with you, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and still, still struggles with that. And we talk about it and, you know, but I think it's just seeing men differently that I really think most men really want that deep connection with their kids, just like, um, you know, like, like women do. And I just, I was just in the birth room with my sister. I was her doula and, um, I'm not a professional doula, by the way, she just asked me to, to take on this role. And I was like, okay, I'd love that. And after the baby was born and my sister had her, her skin to skin, I encouraged the dad to have his skin to skin. And we did the same with my babies in the birth room. The dad's got the skin to skin, you know, and I think it's just, it's just setting them up for that level of success and that it's okay to have an emotion, you know? Right. Right. That the whole thing of giving them permission. It's so important, you know, especially men, bless their hearts. They've had, they've had so much drilled into them that, you know, you, you can't, you don't get to feel anything. Um, You have to be strong and not teaching them that sometimes the strongest thing that a human being can do is cry. Um, And we had this conversation with my husband when, when he, um, 
he ended up going to therapy around the grief of his brother. I was like, the absolute strongest thing you can do right now is accept that you need help to, to get through this, that this is not something about, you know, and what a beautiful lesson for my, my girls to see that when they go out and they pick a husband, pick a husband that's willing to say, I need help. I'm having an emotion. Like this is a hard day or this is not something I can navigate by myself or, you know, can you hear me out? You know I mean? Just, you know, I want that for my kids. I want them to, I want to model something for them that they seek out. Absolutely. Yeah. With, with our, our household dynamics. So second marriage for Dan and I, I brought three kids to the relationship. He brought one and then we added five. So nine total. And the older kids see how he is with the younger kids. And, and they're just like, how come I didn't get that dad? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, it's taken him years to get here. Right. There was it's a not- lot to undo. Um, you know, he, process. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. an evolutionary process that, you know, when people ask me, well, do you believe in creationism or, or evolution? And I'm like, can I believe in both? because as human beings, we have evolved. Um, You know, I don't think that it's strictly one or the other. Um, (laughs) I I do believe in creationism, but I do know that as human beings, we have evolved and we continue to evolve every day. We are evolving Mm -hmm. and we have the opportunity to become better today than we were yesterday. That's what every morning is about is starting your opportunity to be better today than you were yesterday. And what an incredible blessing it is um, to have that. So, you know. Black and white. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Well, I'm, I'm just, I think it's important for men to know it's okay to evolve. It's okay, even though society may feel like you're devolving because you're becoming more in touch with your feelings, um, but your sweetheart desperately needs that. Your children need that they they need to know they can not only laugh and giggle with you but they can also go through hard times and cry and struggle with you as well and that you are willing to get help you are willing to say i can't do this on my own because that teaches our kids that mm-hmm. sometimes you need help and it's okay you know and i have to I had two thoughts when you when you were talking so i you know when i used to try to live in that black and white you know, like it has to be this or that I have to be happy or sad. I have to be grateful or mad. You know, like there's so much, there's so much peace in the duality, the, and, you know, you know, my husband is struggling with something and he deeply loves us. And this too shall pass, you know, but if we get caught up in the struggle or the pain from the struggle, and we, we can't see the blessings that have happened or that will unfold or the trust that we need to have, you know, that, that, that black and white thinking gets us into a lot of misery, you know, and, and I think one thing too, I wanted to share is, you know, when, when things got really bad and my husband was in this deep grief and, um, I was having, it's hard for me to admit still, but I was having a real hard time being compassionate because in my mind, he was taking all this time to heal. And I was over here doing quote unquote, most of the work, you know, but once I like, once I up-leveled my level of compassion for myself, my level of him, 
became exponential. And then we like, we broke down this power struggle and we could both heal, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that is so important, you know, to get to that Mm -hmm. point where we, we just lose the power struggle because as a, if a true partnership, there's no, there is no power struggle. Right. Because you become one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's that, that being taken into the delivery room is so powerful too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, is that nobody's really in control. I mean, somebody can say like, you know, somebody obviously is designated to kind of be the decision maker or, you know, to, to uh, voice the, the mom's, you know, decision uh, preferences, but nobody's really in control. (laughs) There's no, there's no, there's no one powerful person here, except for, you know, the ultimate source of power. Right. Yes. Birth is not in a box. It, it is totally outside the box all the time, uh, fluid and moving and no one has control over it. Um, just when you think that you have control over it, it tells you that you're wrong. Um, (laughs) but it always, yeah, it always ends with, um, the, the mom that is perfect for her new family and the dad that is perfect for his new family, uh, two completely different people, um, who, who may at first struggle with falling back in love with each other because you are completely different people, you know? And so you, there's a great deal of healing that needs to happen in the postpartum period. Um, that is just a whole nother podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah because we don't we don't take we don't talk about it and we don't take enough time for it um in society and it's a really important um part of the process is the healing the postpartum healing that the talking about what happened how are you feeling how did you feel about this is there anything that happened that that really set you off that upset you that you know whatever um because you seldom come out of it thinking oh that was amazing and I want to do it exactly like that again um there's usually pieces that you're like, okay, well, if that happens next time, then I want this to happen, you know, those types of things, but making sure that he's involved. Um, totally. That he, that he knows what his role is, that he's, he's more than a paycheck. Yes. Yes. I, and I've told that my husband this, um, that, you know, through both of our births, which were very, very, very different births. But as I've told him afterwards, even years down the line, I'm like, I don't ever remember opening my eyes and not seeing you right there. And for that, I am so grateful. You know, like there were so many times that you weren't technically part of the process or whatever, you know, but I don't ever remember opening my eyes and you weren't right by my side, you know? And so I think sometimes we can get caught up in what didn't go right, you know, and, but it's such a beautiful place for connection with our husbands is what did go right. Like, what did you appreciate? You know? Yes. Yes. I love that. I love this conversation. I'm so glad that we got together and we are going to have to do this again. Um, So healing. Oh, and I hope it's so that are struggling with this concept too you know me too yes oh we've got to move past all of our stuff um do the work that needs to be done and uh 
go about supporting each other in our own wound healing journeys um, that only as a woman we can do, right? It's, it's like we heal ourselves and then we reach out to help someone else because now we're on the other side and we, we see the glorious valley and, and hills that are there um, awaiting other women that are living inside their wounds and we just want to help them um, get to the same place so that we can all feel that freedom um, that comes from truly loving ourselves and healing those inner wounds. Yes, palpable. So Amanda, share with us what you've got going on uh, that the listeners may be interested in taking a look at and participating in. I love what you just said about, you know, the freedom of what that happens from when we don't live in our wounds anymore. And that's kind of what I tell women that the basis of what I do is I help you live from your desires, a place from of your desires and not a place from your wounds. And so, um, a big process of that was, um, essentially almost exiting medicine. I just realized that I was using medicine too much as a validation of my wounds and not of my desires. Um, I have a four week course that is a, a great place to dip your toe into healing. If you're just not quite sure this is for you and you want to kind of just be introduced, it's called the whole you frameworks. My jaw or my, my desire is that we as women show up as the whole version of us. And, um, you know, whatever that looks like, all of our wounds, all of our beautiful things, all of our desires. And we go into self-care. What the heck does that actually mean? We dive into um, people pleasing and where that comes from. And a lot of the traumas that uh, mold us into people pleasers, you know, many times one of our trauma responses is to fawn or to please. So that, um, and then we go into balance. And then we talk about worthiness. And then every time I run it, I do a new um, class kind of around what's coming up for everybody there. So it's really tailored. We do. Um, so we have weekly lessons and then um, full Facebook support um, in a private group. And then we do weekly calls, weekly Zoom group coaching calls um, to kind of build the community. And then you can have some hot seat coaching with me. And then I do one-to-one coaching, which I personally feel is where all the magic happens because we can really dive deep into where your wounds are, where you want to go. Um, you know, we can start wherever you want. I mean, and, you know, I tend to attract women in medicine, but that I can, I, I have the ability to help anybody, you know, um, if you're wanting to stay in medicine and you just feel like there's something off and you're not quite sure if this is your path. Or if you know for a fact that you're not, you don't want to be in medicine anymore, you don't want to be in the career you're in and you really want to follow a desire in your heart, but you need help knocking down those limiting beliefs that are keeping you from really stepping into your power and your full potential and your full happiness. Love it. Love it. That's all exciting. Thank you. Thank you. So again, Amanda, thank you so much for coming and joining me for this episode of your fairy god mentor i appreciate it thank you thank you so much for listening to today's episode to learn more about me your fairy god mentor simply go to angie taylor fairy god mentor.com